0: I would like to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on Jar Jar Country. We pay our respects to the traditional custodians of this land and acknowledge leaders and elders, past, present and future. Thank you. Hello and welcome. You are listening to Soul Care Bendigo's podcast, Naked. I'm your host, Gail Wilson, and together we will go through a series of storytelling, conversations, and strategies about leaning into life's lessons, the good, the bad, and the downright painful. As we journey back to ourselves and back to our intuition, through the lens of witness and reflection, we will work our way through a series of raw, stripped-back, relatable topics and personal experiences. There will be laughter, tears, and the occasional swear word because, hey, life is too short to hold back. So come along with me on this journey and let's talk life. You can follow and subscribe to Soul Care Bendigo's Naked to get notifications for upcoming episodes as they land in your space. So lend me your ears and your heart as we go through this journey together. Hello, hello and welcome everybody today. We have a very beautiful conversation coming your way. I have a lovely guest in Bridget Allen. Bridget Allen is someone I've recently come to know because we share a common theme in that we're both interested in end-of-life services and care for people. Bridget is the Bendigo facilitator of the Death Cafe, a community service that is ran from the Great Stupa in Bendigo. Through this connection and space for people to actively share, listen and learn about death, Bridget is creating a whole trife of people stepping in to the bravery of planning, calming and healing through the end-of-life experience, and this is so needed in our society. So, thank you, Bridget, and welcome. Pinky you, Gail. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So, tell me about The Death Cafe, and tell me about becoming a death doula. Well, The Death Cafe,
1: it's a social franchise which was founded by a man in the UK, John Underwood, in 2011. He passed away in 2017, but his mum and sister still carry on the operation of that franchise. So the Death Cafe is an opportunity for people just to come and have a conversation about death and dying. So I don't really feel like I do much other than just create this space for
0: people. People are really brave. They are really brave. (laughs) I think you have to be. Yeah. That's the thing. Like there's two ways to go when we're talking end of life. It's either pull your big girl pants on because it's happening to each and every one of us at some point or another. That's right. And like anything else in life, education is key to minimizing the pain and even the grief process because the more we know, the more we can predict. Predictable behaviour is really safe for our brains and for our healing and let's be honest, it doesn't always go to plan. That's true. Dying doesn't always go to plan. That's true. (laughs) It can sneak up on us. It can smack us over the head. It can creep along and drag it out. Each death has really its pros and cons.
1: That's right. Well, they say that we die as uniquely as we live our lives. And so I think the other thing that the Death Cafe does is that actually helps to minimise the fear. And fear comes from the unknown. So when we're having these conversations, we have beautiful, generous, lovely, brave people that come and share their own experience as they are going through it. And, oh, I've got goosebumps. (laughs) And it's also such a gift to us. For people who are unwell and have diagnosis for terminal illness, coming to the Death Cafe and having a conversation with us, it's just so beautiful and it is an education. And so anyone who comes to the Death Cafe, you know, it's a different conversation every month. We have it once a month at the moment. And you never know what's going to rise up for people. So we have conversations around dementia. We have conversations around voluntary assisted dying around cancer diagnosis. You know, there's there's many conversations we have also around different funerals that you can have now. It's not just the morbid, you know, everyone wears black to the funeral and there's a coffin and a purse. There's so many different ways to celebrate your end of life.
0: So, yeah, you're spot on. And this is probably what I would really love to give some airtime to for a few minutes now if someone has got an end of life diagnosis or they're supporting someone or just pre-planning going back to unpacking what you just said before about people turning up bravely, having these conversations, it is the ultimate form of self-care and self-love because it's that knowing that this will happen for me and I'd love, you know, if you're having a happy life, obviously you want it to go on as long as possible, but for some people having an unhappy life, they might choose to end it. Either way. We want everyone to be having a nice life. We want everyone to stay as long as possible until their natural death. Ideally, that would be fantastic. Yes. But let's talk about your options. So I would like to speak on how I'm very passionate about a living ceremony. Mm -hmm. So folks, what that looks like, and I think my passion behind it comes from listening to people over the last 24 years talk about funerals. And I have a lovely, one of my longest clients I've ever had is a funeral celebrant. And she often says that, I wish people could hear what gets said about them once they're gone. I hope that they were validated through their life the way that they are validated after they're gone. Yes. So the new idea, folks, is that this living ceremony is that if you've got an end of life diagnosis, and then some people are actually doing it just to celebrate being alive and hearing their own eulogy before they ever go because, hey. Whatever goes nowadays. But the whole theory behind it is that if you've had a terminal diagnosis, that you actually would have your funeral before you go. The people are given the chance to say what they want to say. It is a little bit more confronting because there actually is someone to speak it to, which again can be quite emotional. But it's actually quite fun. Because what can happen is if you get the person who's preparing to pass away still able to communicate and have, you know, a conversation, it's quite funny because the best mate might get up and say, oh, you know, we went camping, we went fishing, and I caught a fish this big, and and they have the opportunity to go, it wasn't that bloody big. Yeah. So it's kind <laughs> of like the vibe of a 50th, but it's the end-of-life story. Yeah. So it, it has a bit of sadness and sorrow because no one ever wants to say goodbye, especially to the people that they love and hold of value. That's right. But to do it in a space where they can actually witness it, they can feel their love. And I know you and I have spoken in the past that when people go, to their end-of-life experiences, and they are feeling totally at peace with themselves, Mm -hmm. totally loved unconditionally, all warts and all, they tend to surrender. Add that to having a faith in something, anything, a higher power, a source, Jesus, the Buddha, anything. Mm -hmm. They tend to transition softer. Yes. They tend to go more peacefully. Recently, I had a chat with Kate Muldoon, who was a palliative care nurse, Mm -hmm. and she says the same thing. People who are feeling totally loved, who are so sure of themselves and their stories, who have the chance to go over nostalgia in a bit of a public setting like your own living funeral. Mm -hmm. And you can invite folks, you can just invite your besties, you can just invite your family, but you can invite a whole damn town if you want to, Mm -hmm. because community and connection is a massive part of how we feel safe within something bigger than ourselves. And going to the end of our life, something bigger than ourselves is important. It is. Please share with me what your other thoughts are for an alternate funeral situations now or even alternate burials.
1: Yeah, I love the idea of a living wake or a living funeral. I think it can be very emotional, but why not? I mean, it is emotional. It's meant to hurt. It, it it is that's, right. Sad. that's right. But the thing is, what we walk around not thinking about majority of the time is It's actually going to happen to all of us (laughs) at some point. So having these conversations and having things like a living wake really are an education and an opening of the realisation of that because we do spend so much time worrying about stuff that doesn't matter. You know, we spend so much time on unimportant things. And having conversations with people who have a terminal illness, that's, the theme of that conversation is there's so much bullshit that we don't need to think about or worry about. And I think that's really something that can come out of a living way. Also, as far as alternate funerals go, I mean, you can do really anything. There is things like not even having a coffin or having a communal coffin, community coffin, communal and the communal coffin would just transport you from your funeral to the crematorium or to your burial if you are having a, um, you can have a vertical burial now, uh, natural burials where there's different ways of putting your body to rest. If you've been cremated, you can have your ashes made into jewellery. You can have, there's a, a thing called a scatter tube. So you have the ashes in a tube and you can just scatter it that way instead of
0: having the urn and sitting somewhere on the mantelpiece. <laughs> One thing that we probably should say about that is there are some laws about where you can scatter ashes. And That's I don't think true. a lot of people realise that. So particular waterways, yeah, not oh. ideal. <laughs> Sources of drinking water, not, not ideal. Idea. <laughs> but a lot of people go, I want to be scattered here. And it's like, actually... You are decomposing. There is an element where you wouldn't go dunk a dead animal in that said water either. Yeah. To allow, I mean, I know you're not fermenting or anything, that process already done, but there are some laws. They are different around the world and they are different in every state. That's so you true. do need to check that if following the rules is important to you. yeah, <laughs> It, it is, is
1: important, I think, to look into all of the different restrictions around each state, definitely in Australia. Yeah just to see what is allowed and what's not. But there's so many different options. So check them out. It's actually fun. It's a fun thing to do. And making your guest list, you know, whether you're having a a living wake or not, having some say
0: in who's going to be there if you've already died. I actually actually love this. I love this. I love that. Two things that come up for this that I'll talk on. One is you actually don't know who you've touched through your life that's that you've true. totally underestimated the impression you've had on that person. Mm-hmm. So that's why, you know, it's great to reach out on social media, make sure people have got access to your Facebook and your Facebook group, any groups that you're in, any friends that you have to notify all of them of your passing. Mm-hmm. That's really important because then you know the people that you may not have met someone, something, but they had a really beautiful connection. So don't underestimate. And having access to simple things like their social media to see who's on their friends list is really important. The idea of who gets invited in is really interesting because mm-hmm. it means that people who they actually didn't bloody like, yeah, don't get a chance to turn up. That's right. <laughs> Maybe it was past trauma.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Maybe it was someone who actually never made them feel good, but they might have a personality that helps them to believe that everyone likes them. So that's great. A guest list is really kind of like it's a whole new idea. Yeah. It's a whole new ball game. Yeah, And also that realizing to make sure you get the information out. As we get older, we tend to go to more funerals because we see the value in hearing someone's story and how it was lived. Yes. We get a bit more comfortable with tears or expression or being around someone else's tears or expression. And so we tend to go to people, even if we only met them a few times, because it is lovely to hear someone's story. It is lovely to hear the memories. It's kind of like the ultimate book. Yeah, it is. It's a
1: beautiful thing. I think there are a lot of people also choosing not to have funerals now. There are, yes. And that's a really interesting concept because we're so trained in this way of grieving. And I feel that, you know, people who don't want to have a funeral, it's really about them having control over decisions, even after they're gone, about themselves. So I've met a few people who've chosen not to have funerals before they've died. And I've met people who have lost people that have just, have chosen not to have a funeral. And I think it's important to find other ways of grieving and grieving that loss and celebrating that person's life. If that's something that you wish they'd done. So let's say it's a parent, they decide, I don't want a funeral, but I want to celebrate you. So there's this argument
0: about mm. who's,
1: you know, who's got really the right funny. now.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, I suppose it's expressing in a really nice words those feelings that you just said. If someone says, I don't want to have a funeral. It's gonna help me forgive this situation better if I can Mm
1: -hmm.
0: celebrate you, if I can shine a light on you for a little while, you're not even gonna know what's happening. Don't worry about it. I love that. But it's also another thing too, which is really big and being mindful of when you're deciding where your body will be laid to rest or how it will be laid to rest. A lot of people do find immense healing in having a space to visit that has some sort of commemorative plaque or sign on a tree or something. Mm-hmm. Personally, for me, I'm not a cemetery goer. I feel like I could talk to the passing anywhere, everywhere, yes. because I truly believe the veil between the living and the dead is yes. so thin. And there are millions of experiences around the world where people will say they connect with someone who passed. Having said that, I know family relatives of mine who love a headstone. They love to go and sit by the grave. We chose to put a photo of my dad on his grave and of my grandparents, and it is beautiful to see their face. Yeah. So I will go, but I don't always go for myself. I go because society tells me that I am supposed to put flowers on at a particular time of the year. Mm. Me personally, I'd rather light a candle and actively say, Dad, I'm lighting this candle for you today. I hope you know that it is another memory, another day where I'm thinking about you. And that's for me as much as it's for him. So you'll find everyone finds their own way of connecting back with the deceased. And it's an important thing to do. Yes. It does help with the grieving process. It does help you balance the loss. Yes. To either talk to, have space to go and sit plant a plant in your garden, put a chair that is just a chair. And I say to, you know, a lot of widows, when you make a cup of tea, still make two cups of tea, Mm -hmm. but instead of sitting at the dining table, maybe put a a chair in your garden that you go and you actually say, here's your cup of tea, darling. Yeah. It's going to get cold by the time you get to drink it, (laughs) but I'm going to have a cup of tea and I'm thinking of you while I do it. It makes me a little bit emotional thinking about it because it's so special. And even though their life is ended so sharply, so even a long terminal death, it feels so sharp, you still can keep their memory alive. You still can actively kind of have them in your life. And I'm not saying we're creating humour at it. I'm saying we're shining a light of what once was. Mm, absolutely. And that's so beautiful. Yeah. And if they're a prick or if she wasn't very nice to you or whatever, Don't make the bloody cup of tea. (laughs) But if you've lost someone and you just, you know, you pour in a beer for you, pour a beer for them. Yeah. I know people who have a bottle of wine that they never drink. It's probably a sours or buggery, but they just pour their glass of wine for their wife like they might have always done. Yeah. It's still a ritual of connection.
1: That's right. It's really important to have those rituals because it helps us in processing the grief so much. And I do the same thing for my grandmother. So I make a cup of tea for her and a cup of tea for me. And it really makes me feel like she's there. I mean, I feel her all the time. Anyway, Both my grandmothers have passed now, one just recently, but I really just feel them with me all the time. And it's because I do the same thing. I talk to them. My grandmother who passed in October, her birthday is next week. So because it's something she did to go to the grave site, I'm going to go and put flowers and go and say hello. But I talk to her every day. I talk to her all the time. And I know she hears me. She comes through to me in songs. In other ways, but yeah, it is keeping the memory alive for you really helps with the grieving process. It helps us just to feel connected to them still.
0: And it doesn't need to have any judgment, it doesn't need to have anyone's opinion on it. You can do it your own way. That's right. And it's actually quite, it helps with the sting. It does. The sting. Because for many people who have lost someone, that sting in that chest that shallow breathing, that pain that feels like it's never going to go away, it just helps to soften it a little bit because, you know, we know grief now is not to be just attached to death but it's the death of anything, the death of a job that abruptly comes to an end, a marriage that comes to an end. So when we're sitting in grief, we can't expect it to only come up when we say goodbye to someone because it comes up many times in our life and we can build the ability to sit in it and heal through it better definitely and that comes with connecting in with yourself connecting to the story it was really it a really beautiful send-off and acknowledgement that it existed it also takes the anger out and we know that there are I think it's the seven signs of grief Mm -hmm. and so it's normal for some people to organically pass through these stages and then through that as you organically pass through them you can kind of move into the next days a little bit more that's right With that, though, people sometimes get stuck in a particular phase and this is called complicated grief Mm -hmm. or long complicated grief. And we see that in the movies where, you know, we see a woman who might have worn black for the rest of her life Mm -hmm. and it was that she refused to move through her grief. Sometimes this happens because we think that if we move through them, people will perceive that we didn't love them enough or maybe we didn't respect them and we move on and we fall in love with someone else. And so there's this ode to the love by staying stuck in the grief.
1: Yeah. It's also important to know that grief is not linear. It changes. So you go through these stages and you can go through them, you know, one, two, three, four, five, and then back to two, and then to four, and back to three, and it just changes all the time. And it's just about being... Just very self-accepting. Beautiful. There is a Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross who wrote the book, which was The Five Stages of Grief, and she's just magnificent. She's since passed away, but she has some amazing ideas and experience around death and dying. So the stages are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And so you can go to acceptance and go back to denial. Yeah, you know. Yes, (laughs) you can. Um, You can. And anger, I think, is something that comes up for a lot of people over and over. There's, yeah, I think there's no right or wrong way to grieve. Everyone has their own personal experience. There should never be any judgment. I speak to a lot of people that say, "Oh, you know, my husband died two years ago, and everyone just expects that I should be over it by now." Well, I don't think you ever get over it. No, you just find a way of living in it, in the grief, and finding ways to step out of the anger and denial and go into the other stages and come to a level of acceptance at some point, maybe. Not everyone even comes to acceptance in their lifetime after they've lost someone. Yes. So, it's really important just to be kind to yourself and be very gentle with yourself in your grief because
0: there's just no rules. That's beautiful. Being kind and gentle is something that's very underestimated in a very active masculine world that we live in now that's truly based on success. Mm -hmm. So let's think about what being kind and gentle might be for ourselves while we're in our grief. Mm -hmm. It's the same rules that would apply when we're going through anything traumatic that we're healing through. So if we thought of it as the topic of healing, so it's often keeping very warm, decreasing our meal portions, making sure they're real, pure. Healthy ingredients, often eating warm foods while we're grieving and healing. We're talking porridges, we're talking soups, maybe lighter foods. Our digestive system changes when we're in grief. So the really heavy, junky stuff just doesn't digest the same, which can create other health feelings and complications. So, really light food, more regular, but smaller portions. And very nourishing to you. Very nourishing. So, soups are really good. Risottos are quite good porridges that are really good they're special ways to look after yourself as you're healing through sorrow absolutely we also know cuddling up with blankets so very tactile things mm-hmm. when my dad passed away we had some of his flannelette shirts that he lived in and part of the things I inherited was some of his flannelette shirts I actually requested them above money stuff or anything else <laughs> and I got them made into some cushions so what they did is they took the front of the shirt. So it was collar button down shoulders and sort of cut the arms off and cut square at the bottom at the same at the back. So it looks like his shirt oh. and it's stuffed and it smelled like him for a good year. And they sit on our couch and the philatelet in particular is so lovely to cuddle. Mm. So very tactile, you know, buy yourself a really fluffiest blanket you can find. Think about things, you know, heat packs. Just keep your body warm. When we're going through, you know, grief or trauma, our core temperature tends to drop, which is a part of why our digestion slows down. So, really taking care of ourselves, fluffy, tactile, fluffy socks, make everything soft and nurturing because we're often nurturing the inner child that's feeling the loss. Mm -hmm. As an adult, we can reason it away. We know that everyone passes. We have this awareness and this understanding that these are the rules of life. But still, the inner child is the one that is feeling the biggest loss. Yes, that's true. So tactile things, blankets, heat packs, dressing gowns, fluffy socks, really warming food, nature.
1: Yes, nature. Nature. That's what I was going to add
0: to the end of that. (laughs) Good. Walking in the bush on a track, make your own track. Sitting by water, Mm -hmm. swimming in water, if the weather is good enough for you, whatever you find more comfortable. Sitting by the ocean, that thump roll of the waves is very cleansing. Water is very cleansing when we're going through a very emotional shift. Night sky, Mm -hmm. it's so simple. Just come back to peace.
1: Nature is very grounding. And that's really what we need in grief is just coming back to earth and feeling safe and secure here. And I think being in nature is just, it's such a nourishing thing for our bodies. Also, if it's sunny, really getting, you know, letting your skin out and getting the sun on your skin, especially at your solar plexus, which is your stomach and diaphragm area, and just allowing the sun to feed you with that beautiful vitamin D and just that beautiful energy And it's the same with the night sky, like you said, just really laying on the grass. Also, if you're walking in nature and if it's okay to do, take your shoes off and really ground to the earth.
0: That, again, gives me goosebumps. (laughs) It's true. It is true, yeah. Buy yourself a potting plant, make a plant, pull weeds out. All of these things are grounding activities when we're connecting in nature but connecting with nature. Pruning a plant, all of these kind of basic human, humble actions are gentle, very, very gentle. Be very, very gentle to yourself. Now, let's talk about, lovely Bridget, how we would support someone going through all of this. I think the most
1: important thing is just to be there. And there's this really great thing that I was taught while I was doing my doula training is that it's so important through life in general but especially when you're supporting someone in grief, is to listen to hear, not listen to respond. Like just shut up.
0: (laughs) It's why we're given two ears and
1: one mouth. That's right. right. It's really important because even if the other person's not talking, just sit in uncomfortable silence if that's what's needed. Just sit there. Just be. There's no need for conversation. There's no need for you to chit-chat. It's okay to ask, is there anything I can do? what's happening for you today. Those little things, those little questions can then open the person up or not. Sometimes people are not ready. And so just being there, is it okay that I'm here today? Do you want me here or would you like time alone? You know, just really being attentive to that person's needs and not making it about yourself because we do. I mean, we're all with, you know, good intentions and everyone's, you know, wants to be there for that person, but it's not about what you want. It's about what that person needs, and so I think just being very conscious of that is really important.
0: Also, the awareness of questions because they don't always have the answers. Yeah, but it's so a part of us dealing with supporting someone else is we want answers. Yeah. I'm terrible at this. I like to get information out so I can know what to say, and sometimes I'm like, "Just shut up, Gail. Like you just ask six questions in like ten seconds." But make sure the questions you ask. Uh things like, would you like to talk about them, giving them the space to share a memory, or have you eaten, would you like me to get you some crackers and cheese, or can I bring some soup over for you? So get quite specific on the action that you can help with. Yes. a comment, Or even, can I run the bath for you and put a couple of candles on and some nice oils in there? Mm. Would that feel good for you? Yeah, beautiful. Because when we're sitting in grief, it's very easy to not do much because the head is, you know, the head's talking way too much about the future and that's the Ada sits up there and the stories sit up there and the complications of family sit up there. But then the heart's having a totally different journey. And so it's why sometimes if someone's lost a child or lost a parent, you can be looking at them and they look so vacant because they've gone so far within. Mm. So then it's like, okay, how do I help soothe them? What is the primary things the body needs? Warmth, food, fluid, everything else can just wait. Mm. The information you want to rectify what the hell happened and how this happened can wait, Mm. especially in a shock death.
1: Yeah. I love how you're talking about the head and the heart being conflicted because it is, it creates this confusion where even saying, can I get you some cheese and crackers? I don't know. You know, they may not even know the answer to that question, right? So, <laughs> yeah, there is this confusion that happens. And again, it's about being accepting of ourselves. And also, if we're grieving and if we're supporting someone in grief, just having that acceptance that it's okay to not know mm-hmm. what the hell to do.
0: So, yeah, I, I love that. I found for me, I was forgetting to eat. And then my kids were coming to me after my dad passed away. And it was, very fast, sudden death by an accident that occurred. And my kids were coming to me saying, mommy, I'm hungry. And I'd look at the clock and all of a sudden it was three o'clock and I hadn't eaten and I hadn't fed them. And so one thing that was really great that people gave to me was actually baskets of fruit. And this sounds terrible. I should be mothering. I should be providing for my children. But I was just lost, and confused. What the hell? I just talked to her on the phone this afternoon at like two o'clock. And so it's the shock is yeah. massive. Yeah. So having something that the people who lived with me could just go and eat quickly. So, punnets of strawberries, apples, anything they can grab, some bags of chips or popcorn or something that they can go and help themselves. Was really great. I just wanted to bring this up too because this is something I spoke to Bridget about last time we were having a conversation. Is there is a website and an app called the Meal Train? Mm. The Meal Train is something that we've used at my kids' school when we've had a parent that's suddenly passed. And what it is, it's an app that you can go on to help alleviate the cooking stresses and the food for someone who might be getting treatment or in grief or whatever something is going on that's massive. And these primal bodily functions aren't potentially happening. So on the meal train, you can go and say, for example, something happened for me and Bridget went and set it up. She'd say, right, Gail, give me your 10 favorite meals and snacks. And Bridget would load all of this into a file that's created for me. And it would be that it is sent amounts to our families and friends, colleagues, everybody, and they can pick a date and they can communicate with the rest of the group. That they are going to cook this meal and I'm going to drop it off and it's got these ingredients. So then everyone can see that calendar at the same time. They're like, right, she so already had chicken here and beef here. I'm going to do some sausage draw for lunch boxes. Cause often people get the same food mm. and often it's not actually what they like or what they can eat. So this meal train is fantastic for formalizing when community comes together, your tribe comes together to support you and it has the ingredients and who's dropping it off or where it's going to be collected from, and it's all done on this one calendar, and it's brilliant. So the meal train, if you're supporting someone or helping someone through a really difficult time in their life where they just don't have it all together, it's a fantastic app to use. Yeah,
1: it's a fantastic idea, and I think it's really important for people who are parenting and in grief. You know, you you mentioned the word, I should have been parenting. We should be doing this, we should be doing that. There is no should in grief, but unfortunately we still have that job to do. So having a meal train is just such a fantastic idea. At least one part of your parenting is taken care of if kids are being fed.
0: (laughs) And it's specific to what your family likes and enjoys. yeah, I love it. It's a great idea. It is a great idea. And, yeah, the snacks, it could be, right, I'm going to do a week's worth of lunchbox items. So all the muesli bars or all the fruit, I'm going to bake some muffins, lunchboxes are done for the week, which is, again, just takes the issue off. Yes. In terms of when someone has been left and maybe it's their only, some strategies that I've spoken to with people over the years that have helped them, it's different for everybody as we know. But I know with my mum, what was really difficult was sitting down at the big, huge dining table by herself, Mm -hmm. a six-seater. And it was a constant thing that kept reminding her that he wasn't there any longer and that the family was actually going through some really hard times after his death, which is very common, folks. No family is 100% without their flaws or their issues. So (laughs) sometimes death can bring us together, but a lot of times it amplifies whatever shit's going on. It's going to make it hotter and redder and worse. So don't be surprised and don't feel shame if your family isn't doing it like the Brady Punch. Like Bridget said earlier, there is no one way fits everyone. That's right. So for my mum, she went out and changed to just a little table and a chair. It was a way that she kind of went, this is me moving forward. Mm -hmm. This is me for now. So that was her way of going, this is my new me, just a chair. So still a dining table. It's still important to sit at the table and eat and maybe one extra chair that she didn't leave at the table all the time, she brought it in if a friend came for a cuppa. Yeah. And that was a way that it wasn't just a kick in the gut every single meal. Yeah. Some people, like I said before, they love to keep the armchair that's there and make the cuppa and sit it where they would normally sit it. That's really peaceful for them. But for other people, it's the constant reminder. And this is one thing I wanted to bring on. We've got our last little bit of our chat, but this is one thing that I think is really important to talk about again No right or wrong, no judgment, something for you to think about. Let's just go over the act of a death doula. We mentioned at the start that you and I have both done the course, you're running the death cafe. I've supported a couple of family members through their changeover from this life to whatever's next. The role of a death doula and how it's different to a palliative care nurse, Mm -hmm. the primary difference is that we are independent but also we are non-medical. Non-medical. Non-medical folks. We cannot administrate anything. We are there for the support of the person who's dying. We are there to help care for the body as it's breaking down and changing. Mm -hmm. And for the family. And for the the family. That's probably the biggest one. Yeah. And I think for me, it's supporting the person in the bed. It can be if the family aren't comfortable with touching the body. It can be that we can provide that level of love and care. Mm-hmm. So it can be the hand massages. It could be like a beautiful light sensation on the skin, touching of the feet, Reiki. Both of us do Reiki. Yes. So it can be providing that energetic balancing as their body and brain and mind because they still think. That's right. They still feel. still feel. And the last thing to go, folks, which you probably know, but in case you don't, Bridget, please enlighten our listener on what is the last primary function to go. The hearing. Is the hearing so? Make sure what you say counts and is of love in that room. If you've got something you need to plan, a good palliative care or death doula will say to you before you even get into that space. They can hear everything you say. It might come in and out if they're on a lot of morphine, but they will hear bits of the conversation. So this is not a time to talk about their possessions. This is not a time to have a fight. This is not a time to have a dig at one another. Once you step over this threshold and you're in this space, it is unconditional love. If you cannot provide that to this dying person, please say what you need to say and just don't come back. That's right. It's not fair. Step outside for a minute.
1: Yeah. Take a minute. Take a breath. Yeah, I think it's, that's really so important, having that respect for that person's space in this amazing transition that's happening and this heartbreaking transition that's happening it's hard for everybody and I think again it's about making that moment about the person who's dying not about ourselves because it is about us too because we've got this grief and we've got this pain happening but that space is not the place to be in that step outside and be in that have conversations with other people see a counsellor you know do those sorts of things and I think you know part of a death door's role too is The planning, advanced care planning, and how, how is this going to look for you when you're dying? And not everyone gets, there are people who have terminal illness and there are people who die suddenly. So we have all of the different variables. But for people who do have terminal illness, I love the idea of just being able to have the discussion about what does this look like for you? How do you want it to look? Who do you want to be there? And just really giving people control over their decision making about their own end of life so empowering and powerful for them. So, yeah, that's really the thing that makes me love this job so much is helping people through that. And it's also about conversations with family when if we're well, if we're dying, mm -hmm. yeah, that's right. It can be really painful. The person who's dying can be quite protective of their loved ones in their grief Mm -hmm. and not be talking about their own grief of their own dying. And so the role of a death doula for me is the important thing for me to do is to be someone who's available to step in and just be a sounding ball and listen to those people. And it's also the same for family. Family also don't want to put their grief onto the person dying. Mm-hmm. So it's great to have a neutral person that's not part of the family, that's not part of the social group, that you can just say whatever the hell you want, mm-hmm. you know, and there's not going to be any judgment and there's not going to be any. Concern about it being repeated or anything like that. I love that part of what I do. Yeah,
0: (laughs) (laughs) excellent. And it's yeah. The reality is is that having these conversations now, not waiting till you've had a diagnosis, there's no opportunity to have them. I have them with my family now, and I change. I will say, one day I'm going in a firework, and I'm it's color and it's lights and it's you know the extroverted me is showing up. And then the next day I'm going quietly under a tree. So it changes. So the kids will, you know, surprise me. I just say, surprise me. (laughs) And, yeah, it's the less formal part of that. Let's talk to supporting someone that you don't actually like. So this is quite common also. Someone is leaving this world. They've treated me like shit my whole life. I know I'm supposed to be there for them, but... It could be every relationship in this dying person's existence. They've just been awful their whole life and there's this mix of I don't want to show up for them. They don't deserve me showing up. They've hurt me or they've been mean to me or I never felt loved by them. For me personally, I talk about in my private consulting is writing letters. Again, letting that out because even if you didn't have a good relationship, sometimes when someone finally passes, you can be grieving what they were supposed to be for you. So someone might say to me, my dad was a mean man. He hit us. He was abusive to my mother. Or my mum was a controlling woman who always put me down and critiqued me. I'm actually not very sad that she's passing. I don't doubt that sometimes. But I think you'll find that your soul and your body will grieve what you never had. Correct. So it could be she's gone. And there's a whole part of my life that was not fulfilled. Mm -hmm. So for those people, do you have suggestions for what that would be the case then, as in showing up in the room or just not going at all? I think it has to be a personal decision
1: and it has to be in that moment that you're making that decision. I think it's probably really important to talk to a counselor, a grief counselor first. Yes, great. And just get that stuff out. Mm. Again, someone who's neutral that you can say whatever the hell you want Mm -hmm. and there's not going to be any judgment. Mm -hmm. And really just release what it is that's in you about that person and then make a decision whether you want to be there or not. You don't have to be. No, you absolutely don't have to be. But is it going to be harder in your grief when they're gone if you haven't? If the answer is no, then fine, don't go. Like, you know, it's probably more important that you don't go. And if you're concerned about that person not having anyone, call a death doula. Yes. We can be that person that steps in and is the sounding board for the person that can't be
0: present. Sometimes they live internationally Mm -hmm. and so a death doula would be employed to sit in the carer's role as a family member if they can't get there. It can be that you're employed to do that role of a family member if someone just cannot face it or doesn't like that person and doesn't, I don't want to show up for them, but I don't really want them to die alone. Yeah. So then you would engage a death doula as well. Yes. There is lots of avenues with how we provide. Another thing a death doula does is we provide the education of what death looks like, sounds like, smells like. Again, the more knowledge we have, the less frightening the circumstances are of dying and that's huge in our bounce back, the processing of the room, how comfortable we feel sitting in that space when we're aware of the things that our bodies do when it's breaking down as we've gone without food and our normal water intake over time.
1: Yes. You know, you hear so many stories about people going through the death process verbally after someone's died. My grandmother used to talk about how my grandfather died and the last breath and I thought he was still there and he wasn't and all of these, the process of that, right? And she would just talk about it every time I saw her. If we know that's going to happen before it happens, it really does just comfort us in the grief. We, we were prepared for it. We knew what was going to happen. And it wasn't a shock to our system. Exactly. It is less distressing. Definitely. Yeah. It's again, the fear of the fear comes from the unknown. And so when we know, there is less fear. And when there's less fear, there's less grief.
0: In that part of it, yes.
1: Yeah. 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 And I think I mean, even if it's just more comfort in our grief, it really does help. We have to educate ourselves on death and dying so that when it happens to us or mm. when it happens to someone we love, that we can process it with more ease and self-love and self-acceptance and acceptance of the situation going through those five stages of grief. Yeah, just
0: to know about ourselves is really important. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. I just think that these conversations are so, they're confronting. There's no doubt about it. But once you get past that fear and that hesitation, there is an undeniable blessing to be with someone at the end of their life. Mm, Privilege. It is a privilege. It is all of those things. It can be a little bit yucky. It can be a little bit smelly. It can be a little bit noisy. But it is a privilege to be with someone as they pass over, just like when they're born. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So once we start getting mature on this, stopping the stories that you might have been told as a kid, have your truthful experience because you're going to have to have it. Mm. You can't hide from it. Then it's all—it's still terrible, but it's not as bad. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Bridget, for coming in to chat with us today. It's been amazing. And if anyone would like to find Bridget, which day of the month are you at the Great Stupa for the Death Cafe?
1: We're there on Sundays once a month, so you can go to the Great Stupa of Universal Compassion Facebook page. And the dates are on there, so just scroll through. You'll find the events page. And you prefer people to
0: register? so my
1: email address is there and you can email me to register. It needs to be registered because we have to have a cap of numbers just to create, you know, a good, comfortable, intimate space. Yeah, fantastic.
0: Thanks, Gail. Thanks, Bridget. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep shining your beautiful light out there in the world. Thank you. Yes, I will. And thank you for coming on today and for talking to our soulies. It's really appreciated. Thank you. And that's all for today, folks. As always, thank you for lending me your ears and your hearts. I feel so grateful and blessed to be able to share these stories with you and bring us together as a community. This is Gail Wilson and this is Soul Care Bendigo's podcast, Naked. Don't forget to follow and subscribe so that you get notifications on the next episode as it lands. Take care and just be kind to yourself.